Well, I sure am curious, how is your joy this morning? Oh, good. I didn't expect a response, but I love it. I, I hope that you're boiling over, but I know sometimes it's not that way. We come here beleaguered, and so I hope that you'll leave differently than you came. Unless you're full of joy, then I hope you go the same. Uh, as elders here at CBC, it is our, our greatest joy and desire to uh, be workers together with you for your joy. That's what we want to do. And ultimately, with this little series that I've been doing and working in uh, on our good works, uh, it's really kind of with that same design. Uh, I guess for me, my life is very busy all the time. I'm sure we would all attest to the very same thing. Part of that's because it's kind of the spirit of the age. We, we just live in a time where the world is very busy and probably by Satan's design. But some of it is for sure because we're Christians. We have a lot of work to do. So we are busy. But I think it's always helpful to prioritize, to keep first things first, to really be able to set an order to our steps and, as unto the Lord, work you may remember, as we started, I don't know how many months ago now, um, talking, we started out of Ephesians 2, in verse 10. You remember, uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And we started at that time looking at it kind of in a couple of ways. First, our internal works, which we said was uh, walking by the Spirit. We've already heard some about that and read about it this morning. It's easy to forget this. I think the busyness of life can crowd this out. But this is our most important work, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. I think we hear these words and sometimes we gloss over them. But just in case, the idea is that we would have the Word of Christ richly dwelling in us, right? So that we would have the mind of Christ. Then, of course, in that situation, we would find ourselves... Like Galatians 2.20 saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. We're, we're just walking out his word. Become doers of the word. And of course, as the Lord leads us in that way, and we'll say and do and be all that he would have us to say, do and be, right? That's easy. Good, good catching up here. Okay, but then that led us into the next part, which was our external works. Of course, if we're walking by the Spirit, then he's going to lead us to say, do and be things that he has in particular our mission field. We are ambassadors of Christ. Think of it. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, right? We um, have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. We are um, alive. We weren't able to obey before now, but now we are. And so he's given us works to do in a mission field. And we said, our work isn't to save people. We said that's God's work. We said that uh, our work is just to communicate the gospel, right? We said that well, the gospel is the power unto salvation. And so while some of us may be called to other countries and foreign lands to be missionaries, that's not exactly the point. We said wherever we are today is our mission field. The people we work for and with and around, the people in our homes, the people that we know our mission is our mission field. But we said also that we... If we're walking by the Spirit and we're taking our ministry of reconciliation to the world, we're going to be maligned. We're going to be hated for that. And uh, that will bring inevitable suffering, persecution. 
said we should expect persecution. Uh, look at 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, I think we have that. 2 Timothy 3.12. If we don't have it, there's going to be a lot of pages turned today, I promise. Um, but it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. But be encouraged. Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So we can, like James 1 says, count it all joy when trials come, right? Knowing the testing of our faith produces endurance. Endurance have its perfect result that we would be what? Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Who's, who's perfect, complete, lacking in nothing? Jesus. So our trials cause us to be more like him. And then later in James 1, it says in verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Well, we said last time, God wants us to expect to suffer for his sake. He wants it. He, he even said, and we're going to read this again, but it says, arm ourselves. We're supposed to arm ourselves with a determination to suffer well for the sake of our ministry of reconciliation. That was heavy. We looked at it. And we were in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to spend more time there today. So if you want, if you're, if you're reading along, turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, the first 11 verses. Last time we covered kind of the first little bit and the last little bit. This time we're going to try to start to carve out some of the middle. But it'll be a good launching pad for us to jump in. And so if you're, if you're reading along, we're starting out in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 4. It says this, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live in the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued the course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that they are judged, and that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, ultimately, I want to focus on verse 8 today, but 
I'd like to summarize verses 1 through 7 just so we can kind of get a running start. So if you'll just kind of march with me through that. Um, in verse 1 and 2, basically, we read, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. We want to live for the will of God. Think of this, what he's done. I love Romans 6. We just had a great Sunday school. We've had some time in our home fellowship group just kind of savoring Romans 6. And and think about what it's saying there. We're free from sin. We no longer have to sin anymore. We are free. And so when we think on that, we know, those of us who have come to Christ, like we read in Romans 8, we know that we were in bondage to sin. We know it. We were enslaved to it. It had dominion over us. It was our master. But now we are free. We can sense that because not only do we have the ability to obey, but we have a desire to do it, which is so beautiful. And so we love Romans 6. We love what we read there, and we love the truth that that, that, that is a reality of. But here's, the, here's one of the problems. Romans 7 is so helpful to us because of the other reality that we have sin still reigning in our members. So our experience is... I'm free from sin, and I know that, but my experience is sometimes I still, like Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Right, so we find ourselves lots and lots of times crying out, not just because of our sin, but the sin of others and the sin of the world around us. We cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? We long for that day. So as we think on these verses here, it becomes more easy to understand what he's saying therefore since Christ has suffered in the flesh arm yourself with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of his time no longer in the flesh but for the will of God catch this God is sovereign we believe that so we find ourselves in some circumstance like suffering that would be hard But if we know that he's sovereign, that makes it a whole lot easier. But then if he even went the next step and says, like we read in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, we have here, says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. So if God's sovereign, that helps in a moment that we find ourselves in something very hard, right? Knowing that. But if he's also told us this is coming, expect it, right? This is what we were talking about last time. We can arm ourselves with the purposefulness of it. Um, What does it say? It says, arm yourself with the same purpose. What's the purpose? To live for the will of God. So we said this last time. I want to reiterate it. Think about this, our condition. We're free from sin, but we still do the things we, we, we hate. We hate our sin. We long to be free from sin. So one of the reasons we can arm ourselves with this purpose to do the will of God is that if the worst thing that could happen to us right now is to come under persecution and to find ourselves in the middle of suffering, if it leads to death, that will be the beginning of the best thing that could ever happen to us. 
it, it occurred to me that as I thought about this, that we've seen this before patterned really, really well. Uh, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the night before his crucifixion, he's in the garden. What happens? You remember, you see the scene. He's sweating drops of blood. And he cries out to the Lord, Father, if it be possible, what does he say? Take this cup of wrath away. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. So in this, in the sovereignty of God, if we find ourselves in this place, one, he's told us to expect it. Two, we have great joy and hope of if it leads to that, we're suffering. What does it say? Keep on rejoicing. So at the revelation uh, of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. He's at work in these things. He causes all things to work together for not only our good, but what? His glory, right? So we can rest in those things. All right, moving on to verse 3. Um, for the time already past is sufficient for you, for you've carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. Well, as we read this morning in, in Romans 8, speaking on the world, the lost folks around us, these people who would malign us, think about just some of what it said. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For their mind set on, is, uh, set on the flesh is death. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's not the case for us. As new creations, we love what God loves and we hate what God hates. We can't live the way that we used to. We're just not free to do that. We're not slaves to our sin anymore. We're slaves to righteousness. So we must go that way. We obey and we have the fruit of the Spirit. Think of this. If you're in the world and you're trying every weekend to go and get joy, but it doesn't last, but, but you see people like us living and has joy overflowing, that would be frustrating. And we live in righteousness and we then go on to say, hey, repent from your, from your sin. Well, that's really frustrating now because they're feeling like, well, you're just judging me, right? But they're dead in their sins. They can't see and we've been there. So we have mercy, but they hate us and they malign us and, and they'll do bad things to Christians. They have and they will continue. It'll get worse. So they hate us. But look at verse 5. It's kind of sad and it's encouraging. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're literally racking up an account that they're going to pay for in hell for eternity. Verse 6, the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead that they are judged in the flesh as men that they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Again, this would be very encouraging and a reminder of verse 1, thinking about this. These people had friends who've been killed for their faith. But this reminder is, is telling them that they're not dead. They're alive in heaven and they're completely free from sin. So this would be incredibly encouraging. I think it's encouraging to me. Uh, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. This is 
wonderful. Christ's return is imminent. There's nothing keeping him back. And this would be very encouraging, I think, to someone who's undergoing persecution. I think it's encouraging to us too. And not just because the persecution is going to end, but if you think about it, it's very encouraging because that is a reminder that Christ is not dead. He's alive. And he's going to return. He's coming. And everything, when he comes, everything that he set out to accomplish will be done. Look at 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 2 through 3 with me. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Come what may, we need to have our hope fixed on his return. Look at the second part of verse 7. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Well, what does that mean? Um, has anyone ever been very angry? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, has anyone been extremely afraid? Well, in, in those moments when we're extremely afraid, you'll see uh, grown men do crazy things because of a spider or a snake. I mean, it's sometimes it's really funny to watch. I'm one of those sometimes. I'll just say um, or if you're really angry, I'll guarantee you most of us have done something when we were really angry that we thought like, I don't know what got into me, right? When we're controlled by our fears and our angers, our judgment is not sober. We make a poor judgment during those times. What he's saying is very much the opposite. He's saying ultimately be controlled by the spirit. If you're being persecuted, I guarantee you the natural response is to be angry and possibly to be very afraid. If we're controlled by those things, we'll not respond the right way. So he's saying, um, be of sound judgment. And with sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer, I think it's real clear. We can, we can say we need to be clear-headed. We need to be controlled by the spirit so that we're in communion with him, which uh, I think prayer is obvious. That's what it is. It's communion with Christ. So as, we, as we're in prayer, as we're walking by the spirit, as we're having sound judgment, clear-headed he will lead us in those moments to say and do and be what he wants us to say do and be he'll allow us to as it were do the good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in right well that leads us to our subject today verse 8 we're going to talk about good works again but especially in our fourth part to this series, the good works of loving one another. As, as I prepared for this time, a kind of an analogy kind of materialized at some, I'll share a little bit of something from my work with you um, on, the, on the subject of calibration. Calibration, that's interesting. There might be one person in this room who knows a little bit about calibration, but um, it, it occurred to me that I could maybe share something about this and it would be helpful, hopefully. I work in a business called VCE Incorporated. And while we work in several areas now, uh, in 1975 when the business began, it stood for Vibration Control Engineering. 
among the original services was uh, seismic monitoring, where we use a seismograph to monitor vibrations that are being produced from uh, blasting operations, whether it be a construction site or, or quarrying application. Over the years, these seismographs have changed a lot. Um, we've seen a lot of different things about them. But one thing that has always been is a need to kind of verify that the sensors are functioning the way that they're supposed to be. And so every year, each of our seismographs are calibrated. Uh, now, this doesn't always mean that a seismograph's not functioning properly, right? Uh, but we still need to verify that. So it could appear to somebody who maybe doesn't know that it's just a waste of time. You calibrate it, you and it proves that it doesn't need calibration. Why did you have to spend all the time doing that? Some of the times, every once in a while, we get to the point where we've gone through the calibration and some of the materials are, have failed. And so it, it helps us to see that we can um, make some adjustments to ensure that the information that we're analyzing is accurate. Additionally, some of the projects that we work on are... Uh, pretty big and there are specifications that say this must be done this way and it's just to help ensure that the data that they're providing is good. So the process is kind of neat though. Uh, we put it on a, what's called a shake table. We take the little sensor that has some other components inside it and we affix it to a shake table and then that shake table is flipped on and it's producing a certain amount of vibration that's known and at a, at a known frequency as well. So now you can see what should be and you can see what is and if they don't match up, something's wrong, something needs adjustment, right? Does that make sense? Well, it's my desire to look at our good work, especially loving one another and the way that we think on that and the way that we see it um, and kind of connect our hearts to the divine shake table, the word and see if we're performing accurately. At some level, there's part of me that knows if you start to talk about loving one another um, amongst a body of believers who it seems like we're loving one another really well, it's like kind of like a duh moment. Like, we get this. Why are you doing this? But I think this is a place that we can all grow. We should. And of course, as, as elders here at the church, we get to see all the parts of the spectrum and so we see so many good things and there's a lot of good things in our church to see where, our, where we're functioning really well as a body uh, I would just say there's so many great Bible studies that I'm aware of I kind of wish I could go to every single one throughout the week some are so early in the morning that I'm thinking man these guys are getting up really they didn't even go to bed the night before to have that Bible study which is maybe not godly I don't know anyways just kidding but, but there's also the opposite end of the spectrum as well. Uh, no church is perfect. And so I'm aware of some of the places where there's hurts and, and lack of love that does exist here. Um, and uh, I think and I fear that our pastor carries the lion's share of that. There's a lot of things that uh, the rest of us elders don't know about, of course. Um, and so he carries that heavy burden. Uh, but, but God has a lot to say about us loving one another as a part of the good works that we're made for. And so uh, I just want to launch into that then. We have several things to, uh, to start out here. Just a few, just general short verses on brotherly love. Let's look at these together. Romans twelve ten. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And First Thessalonians 4, 9. 
uh, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Hebrews 13, 1, let love of the brethren continue. 1 Peter 1, 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And then John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I hope that we're all walking in hot pursuit of loving one another. And, and, and for me, I have to be honest, sometimes I am, but sometimes I'm not. And again, as we connect to the divine shake table, the word, and see if our obedience um, from the heart is on the same frequency, I think we'll find that this is maybe simple checkup, but very necessary too. So, 1 Peter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all. The most important, right? That makes sense. My mind flies right immediately to the greatest commandment. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love's right at the heart of the most important things. Not a surprise here. And I, I just want to say this again, just as we think about this. Maybe we're not enduring persecution as we've kind of read and think of the worst at this moment. It could happen, but we are starting to see the world squeeze us. We're starting to see that it's very uncomfortable to be out of this place. And not just this place, but out of this space together where we're, where we're fellowshipping with one another, where we have a shared spirit. And so as we think on this what God's giving us to do. It is a responsibility to love one another, but it is a gift, a fortifying gift. If things get worse than they are, it already is this way, that we come together and we feel encouraged and we're reminded of the great good news that we get to take into the world, keep our eyes fixed on him. So it's the greatest commandment, above all, the most important. It says, above all, keep fervent, fervent, Interesting. So to strain or to work hard at loving the brethren. So I want to ask the question, what is love? This Again, this should be simple, but we want to ask the question, what is love? Well, I think we find the best answer in Galatians 5, or at least part of it. It's important. Galatians 5, and starting in verse 16, says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's fruit. The fruit 
of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. So it's fruit. And we're to work hard at loving one another. We're to work hard at something that we can't provide. None of us can manufacture love. We can act like love, but that's not love. This is a good thing. The reason is it keeps us going back to the only one who can. It keeps first things first. The internal walking by the Spirit, the work that we must do, is where we'll get the fruit. It's where the the energy, the motivation will come from. So let's look closer at 1 Corinthians 13. We're just going to look at love a little bit more. I know we see more of a definition there as well. 1 Corinthians 13. In the first three verses, we read this. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Well, in these first three verses, we see a huge distinction. It's not the loving activities that we do. It's the motive. If we're being led by the Spirit, then love, which is a fruit of the Spirit, motivates us. If not, the things that we do have no value. And it's not love. See, we say the Word of, a God, the word of God is alive, right, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing this, the division of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of what? The intentions of the heart. Think about this. In this passage, it's discerning our intentions. God is saying, it's not just your activity, the things that you go and do. It's not that. So it requires more of us. We can come here, we can have a head full of wonderful knowledge of things that we should do. And we can even do some of those activities. But if it's not done from the right motive, it's worthless. Get the feel of this. This is what the Lord's saying. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, talking about David's oldest brother. He says, Because I have rejected him, for, he, for God sees not as the man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. Proverbs 16, 2 says, All of the ways of man are clean and right in his own sight. But the Lord weighs the motives. And Proverbs 21.2 says the same thing. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. And then in Proverbs 24.12, it says, If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know? Does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not... Render to man 
according to his work. First Corinthians, First Corinthians 3, 11 through 13 helps us talking about our work and how it'll be judged. Think about this. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day he will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, if we're being controlled by the Spirit, we're going to have right motives. We'll be motivated to do the right thing. We'll have proper conduct. We will have effective service, and it will make our work have eternal value. If not, on that day of judgment, our works will be burned up and will have no value. So this is making the most of our time is all it really is. But it's confusing because our, our time's so busy with maybe some of the wrong things, right? Okay. Well, true love is fruit. And as we walk by the Spirit, we're going to see the qualities of that fruit in our life, right? So what are the qualities of true love? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 again in verse 4. True love is patient. True love is kind. True love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. True love is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I've probably said this before. I adore my family. I mean, these people are so fantastic. If you know them, you wouldn't be able to help it either. But I have to confess if love is patient and love is kind and love is not easily provoked, not, I, don't always, I don't always love these dear ones. Mm, I hate that. And there's other things. You know, as we serve in the church, if we're honest, I, I know there's things that I've done here that I meant well, but as I look back, I think, no, that was the flesh that led me to do it that way. It's not good work. And so when we think about our work, we need to work here. Again, it's circling back, but it's important to understand that walking by the Spirit is the most important work that we can do. It's the thing that changes everything else. He will lead us. But it, it involves something very hard for us, death to self. That's it. It's loving his way more than anything else. I want to go his way. I've seen, I've, I've savored the bitterness of my choices of going my own way. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go his way. I trust him. It may be doing less. I think we need to hear that. We need to take a, a big, deep breath. It, it, it may mean that we do less, but we do fewer things really well. We do each one of those things with Jesus, step by step, thought by thought, moment by moment, surrendered to his word. 
And if we have to move so fast that we don't have time to surrender his word, you better do something different. Is that right? Yeah. Then we'll walk in love. So we need to ask some hard questions this morning. Am I doing this? Am I walking by the Spirit? You know, we've talked about this before. It's a command. It requires death to ourself. It requires um, uh, confession of sin and, and surrender in every place that we, that we breathe and live. It's, um, it's sustained conscious communion with Him. Sustained conscious communion. It's, it's unbelievable. It comes down to this. The, the marvel. He says it so well. The marvel of being in Christ. What the word has to say about us being united to Christ. That he's with us. It's incredible. Am I doing this? Am I walking by the spirit? And is love motivating me to serve this local body of believers? Am I pursuing unity with my brothers and sisters in this local body? We need to do that. We need to pursue unity uh, in a Christ-like way. And we see this so clearly in Philippians 2. So let's just read some of that together uh, just very quickly. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, basically that just says if you're a Christian and you have the Spirit of God in you, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Well, how do we do that? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. And have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not Regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being found in appearance as men. He humbled himself. The God of the universe, the uncreated creator, humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are we doing that? Are we pursuing unity in that way? We look around this room, do we think of everybody in here as more important than ourselves? Maybe not always. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called with all Humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Matthew 5 again, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We need to ask that question, am I a peacemaker? This is tough, but if, if I'm hurt or offended by somebody in this body especially, do I go and talk to that person first? Or do I talk to others? I know how it can be. 
We need to make the things of peace. We need to pursue it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 gives this same kind of idea, this that he gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. We're all one. Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up. We're to be like Christ from whom the whole body, each of us, being fitted and held together by what each of us, every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each of us, each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of up of itself in what? In love. And then we continue on. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor performing with his hands what is good so they would have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Here it is. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And then, th- this idea, t- tender-hearted, I kind of can't pass it. It's just being soft towards one another. Man, if I hurt you, I, I don't want to do that. You don't want to hurt me. And so, maybe, maybe it's immature or maybe it's embarrassing to tell you that, but I don't, we don't want that. We need to be soft in our hearts towards each other. Romans 14, 19, Paul says, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and ultimately the building up of one another. Same in Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, it says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So just a few more uh, questions. Is loving the members of this church my priority? Am I pursuing unity? Am I really trying to know the people around me because they're more important to me than I am to myself? Am I hurt by anyone at this church? And do they know? Are there people here that I don't like? Well, part of our good works is to love one another. We need to press in here. It's important. We need to fervently, as it says, work hard at loving this group of people. In some ways, walking by the Spirit makes it very, very easy. So that's the point. It's kind of a weird uh, place to land the plane. We've got a few more minutes, and and I have a few more things that I want to let the Lord speak on about this, because clearly, I've already demonstrated in a few minutes that God has a lot to say about us loving one another. His word is clear, and it's just, it's chock full. 
And there's some, there's some things that are, I don't know, maybe heavy that, uh, that I want to read out of 1 John. So good, so important. But again, it's just a calibration. We're just seeing, is something off? This is the time to deal with it, right? And I think that God will be, continue to be, I should say, so glorified as we press in towards each other. As the world gets crazier and crazier, the more unified we are, the more He will be glorified in through us, right? So we need to focus on loving one another. This is a big, big, big priority in our lives. Really quickly, just some of these highlights out of 1 John. And I realize that some of this came up in Sunday School today. So that's fascinating to me. Um, but listen to these. 1 John 2, 3 through 4. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. and The truth is not in him. 1 John 3.10 says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, that we, might, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know this by, uh, we will know this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our hearts before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we are keeping his commandments and doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he's commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. Beloved, let, every, or let us love one another. For, the, uh, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And if his love is perfected in us, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in his love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this we 
by this love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has or who he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. The one who loves God should love his brother also. I woke up this morning knowing, so we've had some change of plans here. I was going to preach one sermon. We had some other things that changed. I'm going to preach two. So I decided to split it and to make two sermons. What's great about that is it gives me a lot more time next week to deal with things that I so badly wanted to say today. The bad thing is, is we got to land the plane somewhere, and this feels like a very heavy place. In some ways, we should be greatly encouraged. But in some ways, at some level, this is exposing. This is hard. It's, the reality is we just don't sometimes love each other well. Uh, so I woke up this morning kind of boiling over with what the Word says, what Jesus has said. And so I want to read just a little more because I don't want you to miss this. This is the thing that can take us out of here. He has some very important words. Can you imagine right before he is crucifixion, he's speaking with his, with his dear disciples and he's, he's encouraging their hearts. He knows they're about to endure this moment. And so the things he said to them there are said to us as well. And they're so beautiful and they're so helpful on this regard. So if you would, read along with me just a little bit from John, ultimately uh, chapter 15, but a little bit before. And I think you'll see why. He says in 14, starting in verse 19, this is Jesus. I hope you've heard him here this morning already, but if you didn't, listen to him now. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And in that day, you will, not, uh, you will know that I am, in my I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandment and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered to him and said, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not, I'll just stop there. I just can't pass it. This is the Lord of the universe, the uncreated creator of the world, telling them and us one of the most important, most wonderful things that we can ever know. I don't know how we could ever lose joy over this one statement, and yet we do. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to forget later. If you see me, remind me. I know you'll do it. Okay. He says this. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come and make, we will come to him and make our abode with him. What? It's an 
Incredible. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I'll come to you. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens you may believe. I'll not speak much more with you, for the rule of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. I love this. But so that the world may know that I love the Father I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. Then in 15, he says, I'm the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word in which I've spoken to you. Abide in me. Have the word which you dwelling in you, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them up and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. There's so much more. I'm going to give it to you as homework. We're going to stop here. That your joy, his joy would be in us and that your joy would be made full. He said it so clear. If you didn't catch it, please read this chapter, chapter 15, just maybe a hundred times later today. Let me close this in prayer. Oh, glorious Savior, thank you. You are the perfect Holy One. You're the uncreated creator, the agent of creation. And and yet, you humbled yourself to the point of death. That while we were yet sinners, in fact, thousands of years before we ever committed our first sin, you thought of us and you declared, it is finished. And then you've drawn us to yourself. And now we stand here, we sit here this morning hearts warmed by your good word. Oh, thank you. God, these truths are almost too good for us to be able to wrap our minds around. But please help us to stir one another to love and good works that we would remind each other, that we would remember that you said you're sending the helper and that you've given us your word and that you tell us to abide in you and and that as we keep your commandments, you empower us to 
say, do, and be, all that you'd have us to say, do, and be, that we would love one another for your glory. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.